Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you're new to this podcast, it's fairly straightforward, yet strangely unpredictable. I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life that they would like to keep safe in a time capsule, four things they cherish, and one thing they loathe and would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. They can choose anything personal to them, a person, a place, an object, even a smell. And then we talk about why these things are significant to them. Doing that in this episode is the actress Aurora Burkhart, a rising star, if not already a risen star, of American and British television. Her career has only just started. I mean, let's face it, she only graduated from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, or RADA, in 2018. And already she's made a massive splash, playing Viv Allen in the Netflix smash hit October Faction and Jenna in The Stranger, alongside Siobhan Finneran, Richard Armitage, Anthony Head, Jennifer Saunders, Paul Kay and Dervla Kerwin. She's also appeared in the comedy drama Sex Education. Aurora is going places. In fact, she'd gone to a place when we talked to each other over the internet me from my home in Tunbridge Wells, yes, yes, I know, I get about, and Aurora from her hotel room, somewhere in the Far East. Uh, no, I don't mean South End. I hope you enjoy it. How are you doing? I'm really good. How lovely to meet you. You too. How lovely of you to do this for me. It's really sweet of you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Have you been busy? You know what? Weirdly, the last fortnight, I've been incredibly busy, which I think is just one of those weird things where I've left the country and then, of course, things pick up. I'm just like, eh, okay. <laughs> so I haven't actually had time to <laughs> properly relax. And I've been so jet-lagged. Are you? Have you just come back? No, I'm still there. I'm literally now on day, you know, 14 or something of being in Vietnam. How fantastic. Yeah. How exciting. It is exciting. So anyway, yes. we're going to play this game mm-hmm. that you're going to think of five things from your life. And we're going to put them in a time capsule. Yeah. Four things that you love and one thing that you're glad to get rid of. Hmm. 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 (laughs) Well, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay. So what's your first thing? Um, My first thing would not have been first on my list if it wasn't for the fact that we went through lockdown and I discovered things that really mean a lot to me. Yeah. And the the first thing is a lifetime supply of my favourite wine. (laughs) Okay. Because that's what helped me through lockdown. And um, I've realised that now. And what was the the saddest thing was realising that we only had two bottles. (laughs) And it's quite hard to get hold of. No. What is it? So it's called Montpezat. It's a really 
uh, convoluted story, which is basically that a friend of mine convinced me to go on a wine holiday. Did that take much convincing? No, no. He said, do you want to go on a wine? And I said, yes. And then he said, holiday. And yes. I said, great. That's what I thought you were going to say. Um, so uh, he convinced me. He lives in Barcelona. So I, And just before I embark on this, this holiday made such a huge impression of me. And he, he reminded me recently that we were only there for two days. So it had a profound impact wow. on me. Anyway, I fly to Barcelona and we drive up to this place in South France called Pezenas, which is this tiny village that hasn't changed at all no you know it's had a population of seven thousand for the last 200 years or something but it's really it almost feels like if you took south london and placed the people into this place that's what it feels like it's incredibly familiar but it was this really unfamiliar setting really old kind of buildings and things that you kind of expect to read in you know 19th century french novels Mm. and it's the wine region that's not as expensive or trendy as the bit that most people think of when they go you know or say south of france but it's really, really good. I mean, we in our Airbnb, the people who owned it happened to also own a chateau, so they left us some wine. <laughs> but we just at random asked to go and have a tasting. Of course, if you like in that region, tastings aren't a big deal. So they're like, yeah, of course, come. Yeah. We went to this place called Montpezat, and the guy we said we did we did our little degustation. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he was like, you know, talking us to all these wines, he said, thank you very much. And how much was the tasting? He was like, what do you mean how, how much? It's free, of course. It's just you need, let you taste the wine. And we were like, what? Yeah. Anyway, it was really good wine. I can't describe it. It's it's red and it's all organic. Mm. And this guy harvests it, Christophe, by himself with some sheep. And he attaches little bells to the sheep over summer. And he shared us all these videos. And he has this gorgeous little dog. And it's just, it was so lovely, but the wine was incredible. And there was one in particular, and he said, you know, leave it out for an hour. And also, I'd recommend you kind of save it till autumn next year. Oh. You know, he's had all these crazy <laughs> tips. Anyway, it was really good wine. <laughs> and therefore, we've remembered it. Like, my friend Alex and I remembered it as a ridiculously amazing holiday. Also, because the town's quite small, and so there's a lot of gossip. So we said who, where we were staying, he was like, oh, he knew the people, um, who owned it, I can't remember their surname, but you know, when we said it, he was like, oh, Le Francois. And he was just like, I can't believe you're staying with them. And there was a lot of competition <laughs> and petty gossip and strange people and people start stopping us in the street being like, I saw you having your um, aperitif. I was in a window. <laughs> you were, you know, uh. this pub. And we're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So it was really good. But the best thing about it was the wine. And I bought um, an extra suitcase at the airport so I could take back the wine. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> Well done. And you, you can't get it anywhere else. And, I think um, they keep the best stuff for themselves. They really do. The stuff that's made in little vineyards, yeah. they just keep it for themselves. And you only get to taste it if you go there. Well, this is the thing. And so I don't know if you... This is another thing I discovered during lockdown is there's an app called Wine App and you can order wine and it's delivered to your house in 30 minutes. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> and, you know, they had a little survey. Do you want anything that you would like to recommend for us to do or any wise. And I was like, there is a chateau in Pezenas. And I wrote this really long description. So I'm desperate and hoping that they start sourcing this wine because I said to Christoph, do you ever sell it to the UK? No, but I'd ship it to you if you ask. I mean, great. But I've never asked because it is kind of ridiculous and feels really extravagant because it wasn't expensive when you were there because you were in the region. Yeah. But I think shipping over would cost a lot of money. Anyway, I would like that (laughs) in my podcast. (laughs) I've been to Pezenac. It is beautiful, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. It's just incredible. And we were actually, I wanted to go back. We wanted to go back this year, and then obviously everything happened and shut mm. down. 
so we haven't been able to go, but we're just completely obsessed. And it's still something we talk about all the time. And the person I met, my friend Alex, I mean, we've lived abroad together and we've travelled around a lot together. And there's nowhere we talk about more than this two-day trip <laughs> to Pezzanas. Just really odd and, obsession uh... that we have. Obviously, it was just an amazing time. But it has that little road, doesn't it, of, of all the little shops, yeah. you know, and it winds round and it's got all those Kira shops. And my friend bought this crazy jacket, this pink jacket, that he said was going to define him in <laughs> Barcelona. <laughs> I don't know what we did. I don't know how he wanted to cram so much into 48 hours. But yeah, okay, that's number one. <laughs> Can you get it in Vietnam? No. I mean, I, the wine I've had here so far has not been great. Um, I've been bought a Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm not that into wine, by the way. So I'm really into it. But anyway, um, I was at Cabernet Sauvignon and I said, well, actually, could I get a Malbec? And if not a Malbec, a Merlot. And I got a Merlot and it just, it wasn't, wasn't the consistency wasn't good mm. and and it was too translucent and therefore it was vinegary and uh, and even it leaving it out hasn't improved it so I've you been do know your wine you've, you've, you've <laughs> had experience you know what it is I lived in France for a bit and I think that just like <laughs> well you've got to know it then yeah a long time ago there was um a place in Brighton that they'd managed to buy all the wine from the wine cellars of the Kremlin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. The problem was that it had been down in the cellars for a while and all the labels had come off, so they had no idea what it was. So they were selling it off for £10 a bottle and I bought a dozen bottles just on the off chance. Let's see. <laughs> you never know. And some of it was disgusting. Yeah, Russian wine. A- about half the bottles were unbelievable. I mean, they really? were clearly incredibly old and fantastic wine, but you had no idea what they were. No offence, but the good ones probably weren't Russian. They might have been from the South. I lived in Russia as well for a bit because I did French and Russian at university and um, some of the wine there, just so bad. (laughs) So bad um, that it's painful to remember. I think also they have this um, version of a carver or champagne. Some of it was really nice and some of it just tasted like... Lambrini. <laughs> and you couldn't always tell when you're picking up a bottle which way it's going to go. Some, some of the wine was nice. And actually, there was a nice restaurant. I can't remember what it's called, Golka or something. We used to go for, you know, I mean, we were, this is not, I'm not coming off well for alcohol here. We used to go sometimes at lunchtime between our classes and get a glass of wine with lunch. But, um, it was stressful oh. living in Russia. So you've crammed some stuff in. Aurora, how old are you? I'm 28. You've crammed it in already, haven't you? I've tried. <laughs> tried. Yeah, you've succeeded. It's brilliant. Uh, all right, we will mm. take that beautiful wine from Pazanac and we will put it into the time capsule for you. Uh, a lifetime supply. A lifetime supply, yeah. So you're planning to go and live in this time capsule then? Yes, forever. <laughs> Anytime you want, you're going to take the top off and get a bottle out. Yes, yeah. I may need to escape the world um, on occasion, so I'm just thinking I do need a lifetime supply. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's sitting there at the correct temperature. Perfect. (laughs) So what's your next item? My next item, I think I'd like to take some seeds to just grow things. So flowers or vegetable seeds? Bit of both. Right. A combination. I really love plants. Mm. And um, I find them very healing and very lovely to be around. And also, I mean, on occasion, I become a really bad plant mother and then they 
wilts and somehow they always come back to life and I find it so encouraging. <laughs> you can treat them with complete disregard and yet. <laughs> and they come back. Yeah, I really, really, really love plants so very much and I find it very hard to be in a place without them and even if I have to live somewhere for a short time, I like to buy some to be there with me because oh. I always think of them as company I mean I really am weird with plants I really talk to my plants my flatmate didn't believe me that talking to plants worked and then we bought the same plant and we put them in our bedrooms and mine grew twice as long and she was like Ugh. oh right so it does work <laughs> yeah it really does probably not to the extent to sometimes how I do it <laughs> but it does work <laughs> do they give you good advice Sometimes they do. Sometimes. In my head, they do. (laughs) Probably shouldn't be sharing that. But um, no, I find them a really good company. (laughs) And I don't know, I I am mostly vegan. And ever since I stopped eating meat, I'm convinced that I kind of have this ability to commune with nature. It's obviously all in my head, Mm. but it does make me feel better. (laughs) And it started with me being like, gosh, animals have such strong personalities. And then it just took a whole new life. And I started to think that plants did too. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm just like, I love them all. You know, like my, my, the reason I'm in Vietnam is to see my partner and he has a really big plant and he keeps showing it to me on FaceTime. And I can't, I'm just like, I can't wait to meet him. It's just like, what am I talking about? But I can't. <laughs> it's a very beautiful plant. They've got personalities then. To me, they do. And, okay. you know, it's very nice to be around them. <laughs> so even if you're staying in hotels or something like that, you'll get some and put them in the room? If it's for a week or two no but if it's you know a month or longer I mean if it is even short term I wouldn't mind a little bit but yeah if it's like a month I think you you should have a friend yeah so not cut flowers then I don't mind cut flowers I do like cut flowers but I tend Mm. to go for plants more I mean on occasion I've got I go through phases where I have you know loads of cut flowers and I like it so many things to do to keep them alive and put a penny in and chase the water off and then they really stay for a long time so that's nice but then they they wilt I do have some dried flowers because I couldn't let go of flowers (laughs) and I dried them very nicely and so they've moved between like four different places with me now but it's just yeah then they go and you're kind of like oh I have to chuck them out where's your plants Mm. just to be there enjoying life how far back does that go then go that far back I think it goes kind of three years right when I started collecting plants and now I've got probably too many do you have a garden you know what I in my new place we do have a garden but it's a lot of it is just a patio Mm. and then it's got a bit of a flower bed and it's got lots of things there the only thing with planting in the garden is I move all the time and then I'll have to leave them behind yeah I don't really want to do that (laughs) well pots then I'm going to give you a supply of pots <laughs> yeah. with plenty of fresh pots. compost. Yeah. You'll be able to grow everything. Take them all with me. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's very bizarre. I don't think it is, you know. I think that actually having a growing thing around you is really lovely. It gives you a sense of time and you give you a sense of patience. It really does. I've just been growing an unbelievable number of tomato plants this year. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two, yeah. <laughs> The problem is I put all these seeds in. There we are, seeds. Mm. And quite often they don't really germinate, you know, so I put loads in and they all germinated. And then, like you, I felt a sort of personal connection to these plants. I couldn't let them go. And I can tell you I'm going to have an absolute glut. I'm going to be sick of tomatoes. There's a a good salad 
And it's just tomatoes mm. and pine nuts, if you like them. I do, yeah. And then a, a splash of olive oil, a splash of pumpkin seed oil, and mm. really good balsamic vinegar, you know, a really thick one. That's almost yeah. like a glaze. Incredible. Just incredible. Uh. <laughs> I remember eating it and being like, what is happening? It was so good. And then I discovered early this year, pumpkin mm. seed oil. Once you add that into the mix, there's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> you discovered it like you discovered the wine. Quite similarly, I was in Austria. <laughs> it's true. I just go to other countries and I'm just like, this is amazing. And it was this like pumpkin seed oil that had been hand ground by someone. <laughs> it was really thick and really deep green and then I bought one that was not as good again it was kind of runny and translucent and then I found on Amazon you can get a really big bottle of one that's mm. made in Austria and sure enough it was really thick and nutty and it lasts for ages well I can see I'm going to go and get a good bottle of Austrian pumpkin seed oil very thick very green lovely mm. so seeds work well for you not only as something to plant but also something to eat and something to make oil out of I'm going to put them all in there. Lots of seeds. Into the time capsule. That's fantastic. <laughs> so we're on to your third item. Third item is an album that I only recently discovered, even that came mm. out a while ago. And it is Heavy Is The Head by Stormzy, which I'm completely obsessed with. What sort of music is it? So it's like British rap. And so Stormzy... Like I had heard some of his music for a while, kind of in the background. I'd never like mm. sat down and listened to it. Anyway, when I was flying over here, um, I was like, I'm going to listen to this because it's Stormzy and he's a cultural icon. And I know a lot of his politics. He's given a, a lot of money to various things. He gave money to Oxford University to help fund black students through their studies. And he's been really incredibly politically active and um, headlined Glastonbury. And that was a whole thing. So I was like, okay, I mean, what is wrong with me? I don't understand who this person is and what they're about. So I listened to it and I listened to it twice and I was awake and then I fell asleep for another like seven hours and it was just on repeat and I woke up and I was like, this man is a genius. He completely encapsulates a generation and a moment. And I don't know if he feels really familiar because we both grew up in South London and a lot of his cultural reference points and I think that his experiences are very familiar to me and he expresses a very fundamental thing about the black British experience, but also like being black in London, growing up in London, what it means. I, I don't, I, it's really hard to explain, but I honestly just think he is absolutely just someone who encapsulates so much of my experience and so much of my reference points mm. growing up. And also is really vulnerable in his music and really open and truthful and yeah, I just think he's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> I also just never thought I'd hear someone rap about things like therapy and their mum and their family and their mistakes in the way that he does, which is very fresh and honest. And I feel like, I don't know what his process is, but I imagine that when I'm listening to it, that there is a lot of him improvising on a theme and kind of coming up with the most raw and honest and fresh version of the experience that he's talking about, which in any artist is so admirable mm. because being incredibly truthful and speaking from a place that's very close to not the version you present to the world, but the version you are in private or with the people closest to you, like your family, is such a gift mm. when someone shares that. 
And I think one of the reasons that he is so popular, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially with my generation, is that he he is like that. Yeah. And it's really admirable when someone, or it feels like they lay themselves open to be seen and to speak up on behalf of a lot of people. But also that on, in doing so, they're really just speaking about themselves is really, really lovely. And that is brave, isn't it? He's so brave. I just love him. Because <laughs> normally in that world of rap, actually, you know, how you come across has always been very important, particularly men. There's a macho element to it. So to show vulnerability. I mean, I think there is. And I think there is a vulnerability in the world of rap. There is a lot of thing about masculinity and about the need to be brave mm. and be strong. And I think what's really interesting about Stormzy is that his version of brave and strong is defined very strongly by him as also being vulnerable, being honest, and basically yeah. being in his feelings, which is incredibly <laughs> attractive. Well, he's a good-looking man, Stormzy, isn't he? So, he's, I mean, I'm so sorry to my boyfriend. He's literally in the apartment <laughs> across the hall, but I do have a crush on Stormzy. I think he does too, though, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would love to... I just think, like I said, it encapsulates a lot of things... And a lot of things about my mm. life personally, really beautifully. And I do tend to get obsessed with one album for ages and ages. But generally, if the obsession is there, it doesn't go away. No. Yeah, I just think it's very pertinent and very of the moment. And I would love to have it in my little capsule. <laughs> You're going to have it. You're going to have everything he's ever done. It's all there. <laughs> I might even put Stormzy in for you. <laughs> I would love that. I don't want to take away from his great life and his reasons or clip his wings, but if he would like to come and keep me company. <laughs> where, where are you from in South London then? Uh, so I grew up in Clapham and I went to school in Streatham and then I went to school in Newcross. I'm Newcross as well. Well, Bermondsey. Oh, Bermondsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South London's so funny because... I wanted to escape it. And as soon as I left, I wanted to go back. And then when I'm back, <laughs> I want to leave. And then when I leave, I, you know, it's just like I have this kind of strange pull towards it. And it's very, it's so different from North London, I think. Mm. Just the whole way you exist in it, because it's not as well connected. And I think it can also feel very community-based, but it's also got this kind of edge to it. So there's just so much going on and it's very hustly-bustly. And a lot of my friends who are from North London are just like, <laughs> I'm scared, I don't want to go to South London. And I'm like, but you're from Hackney. And they're like, I don't care. I don't want to go to South London. I'm like, okay. I've never thought about that before, but that lack of communication in the sense of uh, that you have to get on a bus to go anywhere and you don't, you can't just jump on the tube. It's not as well mm. connected, is it, South London? So, in fact, it does mean that, that the communities mm. very much are individual, I think. Very much so. If you have grown up there and you're from there, like, you know, you can understand the shifts and the changes. But I think if you're not from there, it can feel quite intense and strange. Or, or you can really enjoy that it's very community-based. But I think people have quite strong reactions to South London. And it's a funny place, I feel, to, to come from. I think it's... I feel such a different world view from people I know who grew up in North London, even though both grew up in London. Well, the accent is different. The orange line has ruined all that. Everybody can get from North to South very easily. And it's made Clapham really, really well connected somehow without like, doing eight hops on the tube. It's funny as well because Clapham... Well, even just saying I'm from Clapham, I appear, say I'm from Clapham, people are like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, Clapham in 1992. <laughs> Different. Yeah. Did you go to university or did you? I went to university and to drama school. Wow. One after the other with no gap. <laughs> and what did you study? So I studied French and Russian at university. 
And that was an experience. And I do not regret it, but I learned the hard way that Russian is a difficult language because I did it from scratch. Good Lord. So I got in, great, I'm really good at languages. And then I discovered that actually I was really good at French. (laughs) Um, And that Russian was a different language. I had done no prior research. It was tough, but I'm glad I did it. Living in Russia again. Was that a whole year? Yes. It was eight months, mm. eight long, cold months. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was definitely challenging. The culture shock was enormous, yeah. bigger than I could ever have imagined. And we didn't speak a word of Russian because at that point we'd been studying Russian for a year. Mm. And then you get shipped off, land in Moscow, you drive for seven hours to this place called Yaroslavl, which is a small city, seven-hour drive from Moscow. And... I got dropped off in the corner of a road and met by these two Russian sisters who didn't speak a word of English and told, you know, good luck, we'll see you at university on Monday. Oh, my God. What is going on? So we bundled off into this apartment and they asked me if I'm hungry. I said, yes, I'm hungry. Thank you so much. They made me, I saw them making spaghetti. I thought, fantastic, I can have spaghetti. And then I saw them take the spaghetti out of the pan and then put it in a frying pan and then fry it. Um, and then put loads of cheese on it and give it to you. Know, I remember thinking, eight months. Eight, eight months, months of this. And that's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> Pass me the vodka quickly. <laughs> yeah, basically. And um, But then, you know, it was a good time. I went, I've, I've visited since. We haven't visited so much in recent years. But um, immediately afterwards, we did go back a few times. Mm. And travel because once we got the hang of it and the swing of it, you know, we visited Moscow. Moscow, I like take it or leave it, but St. Petersburg is wonderful, yeah. amazing, and very beautiful. And I mean, it feels more familiar because it's kind of modeled on Venice, so mm. it feels fairly European. Um, yeah, yeah, why did I do Russian? Yes, I did Russian and French. France is nice, France is really nice. I just sat outside and pretended to be cool or what I thought was cool at the time. <laughs> Just smoking jitan. Yeah, basically, just, you know. (laughs) So during that process of studying French and Russian, when did you think, Mm. do you know what, actually, I I want to be an actress? So I actually took a year out between my third and fourth year, and I thought, what do I want to do with my life? I don't want to be a consultant. It just doesn't sound fun. (laughs) Um, And I thought, okay, if I could do anything, if I could start again from scratch, what would I do? I thought acting. So I auditioned for a play that was going up to Edinburgh Fringe and got a part and I played it really badly I just want to admit that now I was dreadful (laughs) but I did it it's so funny because my mum and her partner at the time they were like they came to see it and I could just tell she just she's she was very supportive but she was looking at me with kind of thick smile (laughs) but she said afterwards Michael said no no she's got something (laughs) I really am grateful that he saw something Anyway, I then decided to just apply for lots of drama schools and I applied for like seven mm-hmm. and I got into two and I was, felt very fortunate. So I ended up going to RADA. Fantastic. Um, and doing the BA there. I mean, RADA's yes, an amazing yes. place to go. I went very raw. I didn't really know what acting was and I was incredibly, I think, vulnerable as, as a young student. You know, I really went in open-hearted. I just, <laughs> I, was, I went in with no barriers and I think the training really hit me hard and uh, immediately I remember two weeks in crying on the phone to the head of acting I can't do this anymore <laughs> I should leave you know two yeah. weeks <laughs> calm down so dramatic and her saying you know 
people get affected by the training mm. and it usually happens two terms in <laughs> for you it's two weeks mm. that's okay <laughs> you're going with such a sort of open view to the whole thing because some people will go in and say yeah well you know i'll listen but i'll take it with a pinch of salt but if you go in and say yeah. so that's what i do is it that's it I, okay right and then it doesn't work mm. you are going to feel affected by it you are going to feel let down oh, by it i was torn apart I was in pieces you know everything was so intense and real and every project it was sort of like my life was ending as I kind of birthed this character out of myself and then you realize <laughs> it doesn't need to be that serious like you can just you can just acquire the skills and then pick and mix basically yeah, your yeah. process it doesn't have to be like this huge ordeal and if they had any doubts you've disproved them yeah Okay, well, we're going right back. I'm going to take Stormzy. Yes. And I'm going to put him inside the time capsule. Amazing. With a really good mic. With a really good mic. Yeah. But I have to also have that particular album. Yeah. Because I think it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. We've got two items left, Aurora. We're going to take a short break for some adverts. We'll be back in a moment. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Okay, let's get back to Aurora and find out what else she'd like to put into her time capsule. Basically, I, I want to take my bookshelf, but I recently got rid of about 800 books. But I don't want to take those 800. So I guess I, let's, I just want to keep the remaining books. Because you've not read them yet or because you love them? Just because the ones I love, I think the ones that I kept have got a huge amount of sentimental value. Mm. Yeah, just like half of them from my degree mm. and things I like learned and I didn't expect to learn and... The Russian side, a lot of Solzhenitsyn, he was a Russian dissident mm-hmm. and um, wrote um, incredible things about his experience of being in the gulags, the work camps, and yeah. um, a huge testimony kind of documentary piece that also has his commentary called The Gulag Archipelago. And even though it's exhausting and I wouldn't necessarily want to read it again <laughs> and again and again and again and again all the time, I do have a huge amount of affection for his writing. And on the French side, I want to take my Proust with me and not because I necessarily love In Search of Lost Time, which is this crazy seven-tone mm-hmm. rambling <laughs> of his life, <laughs> but, um, but because I really loved the way it was taught to me and have a huge amount of affection for the cheetah, Dr. Jennifer Yee. He taught me that module and was also my kind of touchstone when I was there of people I could go to. So there's just a lot on that shelf. And also things I've read recently, Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams, which I think 
it as a novel, like the Stormzy album, just expresses a lot of things very familiar to my experience and very familiar to me. Mm. And she won all the awards for it. So I'm so proud and happy mm. for her because <laughs> she deserved it. So there's just a lot on there that I think, oh, yeah, I can't really be without those. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I understand that um, feeling, yeah. And it's funny because I'm not super... Atta- I actually don't like reading, which isn't a great trait for an actor. But um, <laughs> I really don't like it. But um, it's also really wonderful, isn't it, to just settle yeah. down with a story. And I actually, I prefer reading so much more than I prefer watching things. I don't really like watching anything, actually. Yeah. Which, again, is not great for an actor. <laughs> no, again. So that's languages and <laughs> arts and everything. Is that the area that's always been your fascination? I think it probably has, to be honest. I mean, I do very much like science and there's definitely a science streak in my family. One of my sisters is a scientist and teaches at UCL. Mm. And my brother-in-law is a is a scientist slash comedian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I do love that way of thinking and I'm very engaged with the news. And like I said, I'm really interested in learning about economics but ultimately, do I dislike stories? Yes, <laughs> I yeah. think I do because I think they're really important, and I think they're, I think they're amazing ways that we can exercise our minds and our capacity for empathy and our imaginations and our ability to create and to become cohesive and to understand difference is is all through stories. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that is really universal about humans is our emotions and our capacity to feel with the you know exception of a small percentage of sociopaths and psychopaths and narcissists which you've got to allow for but also <laughs> stories help us understand them too so hey ho <laughs> but um i i really love that you can watch something and just the moment when you watch someone living under completely different circumstances in a completely different place He's so different from you. And then they feel something and you recognise the feeling that they're feeling. And you think, oh gosh, no, I feel that too. And and because of that, you're able to say, okay, I think I begin to understand you. Mm. And I've always really loved that. And I also just love random fantasy because I really like how much fantasy can take you away from yourself, but Mm. back to yourself. I just really really do like stories and I have to just admit that mm. but yeah I think it is the sub from when I was a child I've always I've always loved it I actually really struggled to read I really couldn't read for a really long time it was so strange I just couldn't get my head around it mm. and then once I got it I just couldn't stop and then I started to like it less <laughs> <laughs> this is hard work. Um, I'm get someone to read to me. Well, I do like audiobooks. I love audiobooks. I kind of, I either have the radio on or, or an audiobook on. I, I don't really tend to have much silence around. And I love it. I love someone telling me this story because I could be doing anything in my house, but also be in Shanghai yeah. with a detective, you know, <laughs> <laughs> listen to when we were orphans. That's what that's, <laughs> that is. But, um, I love audiobooks, but only because I do a lot of them. So they earn me a living. <laughs> now I'm going to go and look you up and, and re- listen to all the ones you've read. <laughs> okay, then. I'll send you a copy of A Christmas Carol, which is my favourite. Oh, no, please do. That's so lovely. <laughs> I'll send you a link. Okay, well, I'm going to put your bookcase, all your books are all going to go into the time capsule. Yeah. Well, our last item then, which is something you want to reject. 
it's something that I've, I've fallen out of favour with, mm-hmm. which is a box set of Mad Men. <laughs> 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 also, just doing this has made me understand. I already knew that I was a ridiculous person. I think my ridiculousness has been heightened by being alone for two weeks, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> Everything I've said today is completely ridiculous. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> it is okay. Everybody's ridiculous. <laughs> that's true. But I think some people hide it really well, whereas I'm trying to hide it and I already come across as this ridiculous. So it's like, what would happen if I let the lid off? But yeah, my box set of Mad Men, I've just fallen out of favour with it. I mean, it's I've watched it a lot. Mm. And I think I used to think of it as a really good example of like naturalistic acting. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking about it with someone the other day and I was like, yeah, you know that moment where they're like standing on the balcony and then like that sound happens and, it, and they're like, no. And I said... Okay, fair enough. It's probably because I've watched it 20 times, so I just know every yeah. single moment. But I, yeah, I, I loved it for a long time. I, I think it's difficult. When you watch something a lot, it becomes more transparent. I think also I've known for a long time that there were issues with the show and its representation of a lot of things. But I always, always was like, well, no, because, you know, but it, I'm understanding it. I'm understanding America. And, and I think now I'm, I, I did get to the point where I think, no, I'm, I'm done with it. I stopped watching it. And that's a huge thing for me because I basically just had it on repeat for the last 10 years. Mm. And the argument was that it was of its time. That's what it was like. And you go, yeah, but let's not romanticise it. Exactly. And I think for a while, when I first watched it, you know, I was very young and I thought, oh, it's addressing things. And I think that continued for a while. And then I eventually was thinking, well, actually, no, it's not. It's just kind of including them, but it is romanticising it. And then I, I think the, the, the most recent time I was watching it, the reason I had to just go, no, I have to stop, was the incident with Joan when she gets her partnership for the firm mm. and she has to sleep with this guy mm. in order to get it. And I just was like, oh, I just, no, I can't do this anymore because it's like the way it's represented, you know, Don has a problem with it. And it's Peter who's making it happen. But I just thought, you know, actually it's just so degrading. <laughs> And um, it's a conversation I have a lot with my flatmate because she's a civil servant. And I say, well, you know, actors do this job. The actor has to go through that experience. And also as the viewer, you're always experiencing it as well. And I've watched this 20 times and gone from being okay with it to finding it excruciating. But I think I just, at this point, it was just, I think it was just dealt with with such kind of um, a false wave of, pretending that there was an understanding of what she was going through and then it's never readdressed. And I just thought, oh, actually, she's a really complex and very flawed character, but I never feel that she gets the justice for the things she's gone through, mm. you know? And it's not like, it, there's no excuse of just because she's done bad things, she should have bad things done to her. I just, I don't know. I think eventually I've come to the point where I'm like, it's exhausting, actually. And it is romanticising, like you say, the time yeah. rather than looking into it. What I do love about the show is the amount of research that went in, the amount of historical research and the accuracy of that really comes across, I think, in the acting and the building of the characters. Mm. But going back, if I could rewrite the show, (laughs) (laughs) I would write some things differently. Are you going to write? Or do you write? I have started. Yes, I've started writing recently with a friend of mine. So we've written um, a comedy about a casting office. Great. Which we've actually, we're turning into a podcast um, <laughs> and we've had to put in a, a disclaimer that it's any um, likeness to real people or events is completely coincidental. 
so that we don't offend anyone. <laughs> and are these based on things that you've heard about casting? Or rather, oh, it's, or it's completely based on our personal experiences of really? casting. Yeah. Oh, my yes. word. Um, so there's a lot of tea and gossip that comes out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And doing the podcast is helpful because it's actually made us cut down the show. And I think we're going to rewrite mm. draft one into something else. It would be helpful to take some of the stuff outside of the office so that we can see what these people are like when they're in situations they're uncomfortable with because mm. they're usually the ones in the position of power. Yes. But yeah, so that's one thing we're writing and uh, we're, we're writing, we're trying to write a couple of feature films together as well. I have a lot of ideas about very random shows that I just need to start on, but writing takes time and I'm trying to write a one-woman show, which I've been meaning to write for two years and I've never got down to. So you've got plenty of time. Yeah, exactly. I just I can't hurry through it. I don't think anymore. We wrote Typecast, which is the casting comedy. We wrote very quickly in lockdown mm. because we were feeling neurotic and stuck. And then you'll be in charge of casting. You'll be the person with the power. <laughs> and people will hate me because I'm, <laughs> they'll think that I'm trying, you know, I'll do that thing that I think people try and do. They try and be friendly and it comes across as a bit strange and then it offers the actor and that I've been on the receiving end of and I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I once did a casting for something and in the script that I'd been sent, it said that my character broke down and cried. So when we came to it, I did what was said. I stopped and I started to cry. And the casting director sat there and stared at me. And then eventually I thought, but it's their line next. They were reading in the other part. So mm. uh, eventually I stopped and I looked up and I said, sorry, I think it's your line. And she went, oh, my God. Oh, thank goodness for that. I thought you were having a breakdown. And <laughs> she had a version of the script where <laughs> it didn't say that I broke down and cried. <laughs> Do you know what? You would think that if I was that convincing, I would have got the part, Aurora. Listen, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> this is awful. I just this is this is a thing. I think that I don't know if I really am cut out for this because I just feel dreadful anytime anyone feels dreadful, and I just want to protect everyone and make sure that they feel like safe and seen and taken care of mm. and loved and validated. And actors are just on the receiving end. For one reason or another, oh, it's just awful. It just makes me want to cry. <laughs> you can turn the tables, though, sometimes. I was once uh, kept waiting by a director for ages and ages, and uh, and then I thought, OK, I'm going to show my power. And he said, so, what have you been up to recently? And I said, I've been waiting to come in here. Ooh. And then he said, yeah, no, before that, I said, you know, it's so long ago, I can't remember. Wow. <laughs> Of course, I didn't get the part, but I I felt great. It's funny, isn't it? I, I don't think, I mean, I've never in an audition actually had the the courage to be that bold. And I do, yeah, sometimes when I'm actually working, I can mm. be a little too bolshy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I have been known to have the odd intense moment <laughs> with the people on set. <laughs> I have to tell myself, pick your moments. Don't take out everything so personal. <laughs> Just be like, I'm going to ignore that because you're having a bad day rather than being like, just wanted to say, um, you can never speak to me like that ever. I was just asking if you wanted a cup of tea. Yeah, I want proper tea, <laughs> not bad tea. I don't want those tea bags. Why don't you listen to me? Um, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, calm down. I think <laughs> the last two years has been a really good lesson in calm me down having a nice time there we are then okay so we're going to calm down we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to place mad men and it's mad men. annoying naturalism 
Stop being so bloody natural. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Put that fag out. We're going to put that into the time capsule. Yeah. Well, there we are. It's done. We'll seal it up. I'll keep it safe for you. Anytime you'd like some really nice wine. Oh, my gosh. Or to plant some seeds. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird eccentric mix of things that have gone in, but that's fine. It is absolutely it, lovely. It's really been great talking to you. You too, you too. I hope we get the chance to work together sometime. I'm sure it'll be a joy. Me too. <laughs> and please do send a Christmas carol. I will do. Have a lovely time in Vietnam. Take care. Thank you so much. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Aurora Burkhardt. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to it for all episodes on Acast, CastBox, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Just search My Time Capsule. This has been a cast-off production produced by John Fenton-Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm going to look up return train fares from Tunbridge Wells to Pezzanaz in the south of France. Oh, actually, thinking about it, I might just get a single. Bye. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.